The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of 1 Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Well, good morning. Thank you for uh, having me back again. And before I get started, I'm just going to pray real quick because uh, I need God's Spirit to, uh, to drive this home. So, Lord, I just pray that... Um, I just feel um, more unprepared uh, as I get into this message. The last 24 hours has just been, frankly, it's just been more of a a burden in the sense that I feel like I'm not, um, I'm not communicating it clearly or there's there's just way too many things. And as I've been um, here this morning, with worship and the liturgy and even Sam's announcements, Lord, I realize that I cannot preach your word unless you um, go before me in your spirit. So I just pray that only what is profitable would come out of my mouth, that the words I say would be your words, that they would land on your people's hearts, that, um, that my inadequacies would be filled by your spirit, and that above all, the gospel is made clear, and that your people can rejoice in that good news. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is my second time uh, preaching at Sacred City Moline, so I appreciate you guys letting me come back. Uh, Last time, I got one verse, and that was, thou shall not murder. So now I got three verses. And uh, (laughs) what's crazy is, like I said, even leading up to this, just this morning, my mind is just exploding with so many different ways this, to go with this text. And so even in the liturgy and in the worship, I'm going, oh yeah, with this, and oh yeah. Like, and so I just, I really just am praying that the Spirit would just help me channel um, the gospel to you guys and just give that to you. So for anyone that doesn't know, Sam kind of introduced me. Um, I'm over at the Broadview MC, so we've been going to Sacred City for about two years, and um, we host the Broadview MC in our house, and so I've been a part of Preaching Lab for probably a year, and in that time, uh, I've just, I've really been challenged uh, if this is something to go forward with, uh, if, if preaching it really is something I have a passion for, and I really struggled with it uh, preparing this message. And so I struggled with it because I realized the very thing this message talks about is something I struggle with. And I think as we go through the text, everyone's going to see we don't desire God like we should. We don't desire the gospel like we should. And so for me, I just hope that we can kind of... Uh, reveal that more and more as, as I go through the scripture. I do think it's interesting. I appreciate the timing. Uh, the guy from Bettendorf was preaching during the, the Quad City Marathon going on, so that was interesting, trying to get over here this morning. They blocked my street off, so getting out of my street was interesting, and then I wanted to have a little prayer time, so I, have the, I go to the park in Bettendorf down by the river. Well, that was blocked off because the marathon was going through the bike path, and so I thought it was interesting, the, uh, the timing that the Quad City Marathon just totally just ruined all my plans this morning. So uh, hopefully we can jump into it here. So you guys have been in the book of First Peter. Uh, 
you've wrapped up the first chapter of that. And so really, just to kind of go over what we've seen so far in the book of 1 Peter, is basically Peter's point is that Christians are living as elect exiles, that we're in a culture that doesn't accept us or the way we live. And we have learned that we always will be cutting across the culture. What Peter has been saying is, we're Christians, and that means we live differently. Because we're a counterculture, or an alternative society of God's people here in the Quad Cities and around the world. What Peter says contradicts what culture says, what the world around us says. What he's saying here, as we've been going through the first chapter of Peter, is, listen, the culture is telling you that you are your own. Therefore, whatever you want to do, however you want to live, whatever your desires are, you can do it. Go pursue it. You're free to do what pleases you. But what we've been seeing over and over again in the first chapter of Peter is that God, God tells us that we're not our own, that we've been purchased or ransomed, that we've been born again at a great cost to him. Therefore, we do not live our lives to please ourselves, but we live our lives as someone who's been purchased. We live to be salt in the culture, to be distinctive from the culture we live in. We're to be light projected into a world of darkness, a world that clashes with what we know and believe and our desires. And so Peter's going to really unpack that for us as we get into chapter 2. But so far the book can be summed up in this way, in response to salvation, be holy toward God. In response to salvation, love your brothers and sisters. In response to salvation, crave the word. These three things sum up Christian living. Be holy toward God, love your brothers and sisters, and desire God's word. That's a challenge, though, for a Christian even someone who's been saved by the Spirit, to live holy lives in community and on mission. So with everything that has been unpacked so far by Peter in the first chapter, how do you cultivate a desire for holiness, community, and mission for the rest of your life? I mean, this isn't just a, hey, the rest of this Sunday I need to have my priorities straight. I need to, you know, I need to go have that conversation with my neighbor. I need to go repent to that person. Lifelong, lifelong. How do you love that way? It's exhausting, right? And we're constantly being pulled back into our old desires, back into our old ways. So as we get in our text today, I have two points. One, stop stunning your growth by desiring things that leave you empty and feast on only the only pure source of spiritual nourishment. 
Well, let's jump into our text. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So just to refresh, as we're going into verse one of chapter two, the way chapter one ended was with a very, an amazing statement. And that is that you are born again through the word of God. The point is that the word is imperishable and that it is living and active and that it is not like grass or flowers that die and do not endure, but it is something that endures forever. You have been purchased by an imperishable item. Like, you are forever if you are in the gospel. You are forever in the family of God. The people that you sit and MC with, the people that you're in this church with, you will be with forever. You are a forever family. And who caused this in you? God caused you to be born again. God caused you to be born into this family. I mean, that's, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty heavy thing to, to process. Um, it's incredible stuff that it's happened to you. And what Peter is saying is, as we get into verse 1, because of all this stuff that God has done for you, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and evil. But why does Peter tell us to do that? Because we've been born again, born anew. That's not us. It's not this moralistic, like, I just got to buckle down and not do these things anymore. These things are innate in us. It's the way we're bent this side of heaven. And this is going to linger until Jesus comes back. Until this world passes away and the new creation is here, we will always have these desires. We will always have this bent that, that pulls us back. And so Peter is exhorting us to, to take off. New life can't grow unless sin is purged and the gospel can nourish you. The imagery here refers to the stripping off of dirty clothes. So when he says, put away all malice, just think of just clothes covered in grease and, and just grime and you just want to get out of it. One thing that kept coming up to me, though, is as we get into verse 2, it's talking about newborn babies. And so for me, when I was reading that, it, it can also mean soiled garments. And so I just had this image of, of like a poopy diaper, right? So like when a, when a baby poops its pants, like it wants out of the diaper, right? And even as you get into toddlers, like you just, you want out of it, like get it off of me. And... Uh, that's the same idea here. You have to get rid of something that was prominent in your life before your new birth. Something that may have marked you, may have been part of who you were. Paul talks about this when he says in Colossians, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, 
abusive speech, do not lie to one another, and so forth. Put it all aside. Get rid of sin. But Peter's getting to something a little more specific here. He picks these words for a reason. The list is actually about undermining love in the community, love in the church. In chapter 1, you guys probably remember when Peter was talking about a brotherly love, that you would have an affection for one another. That's why this list is here, because this list specifically derails living on mission. Peter lists them on purpose because these sins in a unique way unravel relationships in the church, and it ruins our witness to a watching world. Peter knows these things are poison to unity and to love in the community. They're opposites of love. These are things love doesn't do. I just wonder which one of these might keep you from loving and building up Sacred City Moline. First, uh, the first sin that he lists there is malice. And that's when you rejoice when other people fail or suffer. And so how many times, I know for me, I'm sitting in MC, and there's certain people in MC that their life just always seems to be perfect for me. Like they always have the right answer. They have, God's just blessed them with nice, a nice house. They never seem to struggle with things. And when something does happen, my initial reaction sometimes is to go, yeah, finally something. Something's gotten their way. Like, you know, oh, that's, that's a little prick for them. I mean, that's envy or that's malice. I mean, do you, do you ever sit in MC and, and have just almost a, a glee or a, a happiness sometimes when something might happen to someone you don't really like in MC or someone that just kind of rubs you the wrong way? Deceit is never giving your true self to people, never really being known. It's really just lying a little bit, just deceiving people enough that they'll never really know me. It really harkens back to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God's looking for them. Where you at, Adam? Got my fig leaf on. Just covering a little bit. Like, you can see most of me, so it's okay, right? I mean, that's deceit. That's what we do. We hide certain things, we, certain aspects. We think people, well, if people really knew this, they might not love me or they might judge me. Hypocrisy is acting like you're something you're not. It's like putting on a different face for different groups of people. Well, at MC, I act this way. And when I'm at work, I, I'm this person. And when I'm at home, I'm this guy. And the list goes on and on. You're tied to that sin. Like, how, how much of a burden is it for you to constantly have to remember who to perform as for people? Envy. It's whenever we're disturbed that we don't get something someone else has. And it really manifests itself if you can't celebrate with people's success. Right? So you hear good news brother or sister has something that an MC they, they share, and that little voice in your head's going, 
Why, do, why does that happen to them? I can't pay my bills, and someone just drops a $500 check in their lap. What about me? I mean, if you want to see this real quick, if you have kids, you start scooping ice cream, right? What happens when you scoop ice cream with kids? Why has she got more ice cream than me? She's got an extra scoop. Her scoop's bigger. Her bowl's bigger. Like, it's envy. Why did that person at work get the promotion and I didn't get that promotion? Why are we still renting a house? We should be able to own our house like, like they are. Where this really hit home with me, as I was thinking about this, one thing that became clear to me is when I first started attending Sacred City, I was in the Willowwood MC, and I remember the first time I had met Justin, he, had, he was talking about his new iWatch, or whatever you call the Apple Watch. I'm an Android guy, so I don't know what it's called, but... And I just remember, like, I knew how much it cost, and I just remember thinking to myself, what's a, what's a pastor spending money on stuff like that for? That's envy, right? I mean, I'm looking at that going, well, I can't have an $800 watch on my arm. Like, why does he get to have one? Not knowing, and this is how envy will just slip in there, not knowing that his MC gave it to him. Like, it was a gift. And I'm sitting there going, just went down a couple notches on the holiest, holiness meter for me. <laughs> the fact that it's Apple is a totally different, that's another thing. But, um, but you can see how deceptive envy can be. Like we look at one another and we can't celebrate when we, we have successes. Um, I mean, even when, in the announcement of you guys getting that building, right? I've felt from some people in Davenport, the first response was like, why don't we get a building? Like, we've been here longer. We've been slaving away. What's, where, where's our building at? And envy, it can kill relationships. And the last is slander. So that's to speak in a way that brings the person down in the hearer's mind. So if you're not building somebody up, you're slandering them. You're tearing them down. In our society nowadays, this is everywhere. Running somebody's name through the mud happens constantly. It's almost like a badge of honor sometimes in some weird way like, oh yeah, these people trash me. You know I'm doing it right. But think about think about your MC. Think about conversations you've had about people in your MC in the last month. Where you've had issues with the way someone was handling something or the way this got addressed, and you've had conversations with other people in your MC about that person in your MC, but you've never actually went and talked to that person. That's slander. When you're trying to pull them down instead of build them up, that's slander. And it doesn't have to be something just out of left field like, oh, they, they were sinful and they did this and this and this and this, and you know, I really hope they repent of that sometime. It can be little things that chip away at this. Like, how many times do we, like, grumble about stuff, and then that becomes, like, a way we slander people? Well, you know, if the person that actually does the meals on the, on the city posted it in a timely manner, then I wouldn't have to rush the day before to figure all this stuff out, right? Church, Peter wants you to taste that these things are filthy, that these are the opposite of love. You need to ask yourself, in what way might I actually be weakening our church 
because these vices undermine community. Love doesn't have to do these things. Love is not malice. It's not deceitful. It's not hypocritical. I don't have to envy things anymore because I have everything in Christ. I have things that are imperishable, right? In envy, we're worshiping things that are going to just burn away, things that don't matter. If you just listened to this list and process these things, this malice and deceit, these things that destroy relationships, and you think to yourself, that really doesn't describe me. Like, I don't, I don't have these problems. Then you're in a very dangerous place. If you think loving your community and your church and your MC is easy, you're mistaken. It's hard. Any of us that have been in community and, and given of ourselves and tried to put these things away, like these things come up when you're not even ready for it. You're just... What's, what is that that's pushing me to want to do these things? I mean, if you do a better job of loving your community than I do, I mean, if you're like, if you love your MC as well as Jesus loves your MC, I think you're mistaken. I think you're missing the point here. There's no room for that former ignorance in a new community, in a new baby, right? A new spiritual, born-again Christian. There's no room for these things, and that's why Peter tells us to put them away. You have to turn away from these futile ways that are stunting your growth. You can't just try harder. You can't just read your Bible more, or I just need to pray 30 more minutes a day. Your desire, your longings have to be redirected. You have to find nourishment that will lead to becoming a fully developed human, the way God intended. Your eyes have to be moved upwards. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That is not a proof text for breastfeeding, FYI. So I know some people try to, try to take that. That's not what that's for. You've been born again, and just like a baby who has been born again or has been born needs milk, it needs proper nourishment, you as a Christian who have been born again in the spirit needs the power of that proper spiritual nourishment. If a, if a physical baby was born and did not have any nutrients coming in, what would happen to it? They would die. But how many of us are born-again Christians that do not get proper spiritual nourishment? But that's fine. And Peter's really drawing, he, as I go through this, you're really going to see he's drawing out this idea of like this dependency, this newborn Solely dependent. Nothing else matters. You can't live this new life that we're called to, that Peter's been talking about in chapter 1, leading into chapter 2, without the gospel, without the milk. 
First of all, you, know, you need to admit, just like a newborn baby does, not verbally, by its screaming, by its reaching, by its, you know, you need to admit that you have a need. The word infant here means newborn. It means a breastfeeding infant. The word was only used as long as a child nursed at his or her mother's breast. It would have been enough just to say that, but Peter wants to drive the point home. So he adds another word to make his point more emphatic, which literally means born just now. So what he's saying here is that like a born just now baby, you're to desire the pure milk. Like this baby isn't even out of the hospital yet, right? The instant this baby is born, when it comes out crying, what's it crying for? Tacos? That's what, I cry for that sometimes, but new car? New toys? What does that baby want? It wants one thing. It wants milk. And that baby comes out and it goes to the breast of its mother and it finds in there all it needs. Satisfaction. A calm. Just a, I mean, can you guys picture? I mean, there's a lot of new mothers here. Like, our kids, I can just, I remember them just wanting milk so bad that they would just, like their whole body is just like tensed up. And as soon as they get it, they're like, like everything's gone. Like such an amazing picture of what the gospel should be to us. That like, can I really go to the gospel and just instantly feel all those other desires, all those other things mean nothing to what I'm getting from God and what he's given to me in his graciousness in the gospel. I went off track now, so I gotta get back. You can't live this new life without the gospel. Peter wanted to make an emphatic point that this is a picture of the gospel as we see a newborn baby craving milk. The baby recognizes its need. It may not be educated. It may not be wise. It might not know anything about anything it needs other than it knows it needs milk and can only be satisfied by milk. It accepts no substitutes. I don't recommend anybody try this, but I think if you gave a baby a bottle full of Mountain Dew, it would probably cry more and spit it out. Like, that's not what it wants. Although, we could go, there's an analogy for like toddlers in there, but we're not, we're not in that for these verses, so. But one of the things that should jump out to you is that uh, when you look at that picture of a baby that's dependent on its mother for, for nutrition and sustenance and life, you can't grow without nutrients from outside of yourself. Like, I don't know about your guys' MC, but uh, in our MC, Jeff always talks about how there's three times a day where you should be reminded that you 
cannot sustain yourself. Every time you feel hungry, breakfast, lunch, dinner, that should be a call to you that this cannot be sustained by anything I do. I need something outside of me to give me nutrition. I have to consume things. I mean, what we really see here is just a singular focus, a dependence on that source of milk, that source of nutrition, like a newborn baby. A newborn baby can't survive without its mother. Where do you go for your nutrition? Most of us try to nurse on the accolades of others, our ability to do things, fix stuff, our jobs, the pleasures of other people, the things of this world that distract us. But I want us to see this picture. I want us to long for pure milk. I mean, what we're really talking about here is this idea of, like Psalm 42 talks about this picture of the deer who's craving water, like it's, it's coming up to a stream and it's panting. And David says, for my soul pants for thee, God. It's a breathless panting, a craving for God. The same word is used in that picture as in verse 2 here. That I'm just, I've, I've been desiring and chasing so much that I'm like, I picture like my dog. They come in from outside and they're just, they can't, they can't even breathe almost. And then they get to that water and they're just lapping it up. It's such a simple picture, but it's a picture I think we miss so much, like so often in our own lives. Really what we're talking about is a desire. When Peter says, long for the word, it means desire. It's a command to desire, to desire the unadulterated, uncontaminated, unstained, untainted gospel, pure How do you desire, how do you change your desires? Like, how do you develop a desire that you don't have? I mean, really kind of sums up the Christian life. Like, okay, well, I desired these things. Now I have a desire for, there's kind of like a little kindling, I think, sometimes of like, well, I'm a Christian now. I desire Jesus. I desire, but I got all these things, right? These things, Peter had just talked to you about putting them away. But you still kind of like, oh, I kind of still desire. How do you, how do you like fan that flame? I would submit to you that many of you, myself included, don't have a strong desire for God and His Word for the gospel because we're distracted, enticed by lesser things, things that don't nourish us, but may give us a temporary buzz or may push us through to the next day, next week. But what Peter is saying here is turn to God. Realize that Jesus is better than what you've been desiring. I mean, can you imagine it, right? 
commanding a lame man to walk? I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but my legs don't work, so you can't command me to walk. Just like you can't command me to desire. It's not my nature. I don't, I'm not bent that way. That's not how it works. Jesus commands the lame man to walk. How about commanding a lame man to fly? Do you think God might command that? The little poem uh, that John Bunyan wrote, I think, kind of encapsulates this idea really well. He says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. In other words, the old covenant gave commandments, but by, by and large, it did not give us a divine enablement to overcome the deadness and the depravity and the rebelliousness of our heart. But in the new covenant, in the new birth, in which God has set up the cross of Christ, God gives us even harder commandments. But he also gives us the power to fulfill them through faith. That's why you really have to throw yourself on the mercy of God and plead with him for that desire. You can't build that desire yourself. Long for the pure milk of the word, for the pure milk of God. Long for it. Long for the gospel. Do you have that longing? Then get that longing. Do you not desire the gospel? Then start desiring it. Do not say, I'm just this way. Do not settle for spiritual stagnation. It's not God's will for you. That's what this verse should show you. That's who you were. Put that aside. Take it off. There's something better for you. I mean, really, one of the problems I had with preparing this message is that I realize that I can go day after day, week after week, and seemingly demonstrate no delight whatsoever in God. No love, no craving, no desire to, to study, to, to pray. And that's why Peter's exaltation here is important to us. I don't wake up first thing in the morning and think about God most of the time. This is the first thing I grab most mornings. Why? I desire this thing. Right? Is this better than Jesus? Are the things on here, the things that show up on this screen, better than what Jesus gives me, what I have in the gospel? To get that desire for what he's done, I have to, I want to pray that God would just show me mercy because I can't do it in my own. My reaction is to pick this up. My reaction is to go, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Oh, I got to hurry up. I'm going to be late for work. Oh, now it's, I'm off work. Now I got to pick the kids up. Now I'm going here, going there. Time to go to bed. And I can go a whole day, a whole day and not think of what Christ has done for me, what God did for me in the gospel and showing me that kindness. And I know it's not me. I'm in an MC. 
I know everybody feels this. Don't ever get to the place where you think you don't need the gospel, where you don't need God's word. The fact that that when you're reading the Bible and you're praying to God and you're seeking him, that the spirit works in you, that the spirit that made you be born again is with you. And just like when Jesus told the lame man to walk, God can give you desire for that spiritual milk. Three times the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You never arrive this side of heaven. You spend your life pursuing every word out of the mouth of God. The baby cries in its infancy because it wants milk. It needs nourishment. And the believer should have that same cry. But so many Christians have been stuffed with junk food that they've lost their appetite or even what it knows to be nourished by God's word, by the gospel, by the spirit. They have no appetite for spiritual milk. Whether you know it or you realize it, our culture is trying to disciple you. Our culture is trying to disciple you with every advertisement, with every new fashion trend that's going on in the culture. The culture is trying to disciple you, and as Christians moving through this culture and attempting to do so faithfully, we need to get our minds and our hearts ringing with the gospel so that the gospel is always better than those things. The result of desiring those things is that you will grow up in respect to salvation. Literally, you will grow up into salvation. Salvation is reached by growth, to be sure, but God gives the growth. But growth is necessary. Do not fall into that spiritual stagnation that says, I can't grow. I can't change. Maybe it's, I don't need to change. I'm a pretty good person. God's changed me enough. Throw all those ideas away like those smelly garments and seek God with your heart, with a desire for the gospel and a desire to grow together as a community into salvation. If you've been born again, this desire has already been placed in you because you have tasted the goodness of the gospel. With your new life comes desire for God, for your church family, and for your community, a desire to live on mission. If you don't have that desire, you need to ask yourself if you're even born again. Don't let yourself think that you're born again when there is no evidence of a new birth. We see it in, in the book of Matthew in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 23, I believe, when Jesus is approached at the end times, people are coming up to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Those are people in the church. Like, that's not, 
the pagan down the street or the Gentile who doesn't know Jesus, these are people that are doing spiritual gifts, like casting out demons. I've never done that yet. I don't know, maybe some, some point God will give me that opportunity. But <laughs> Jesus says, I never knew you. Those people were deceived. Those people believed that they were born again, but they weren't. And so Peter here is giving us a call to put those old things away. And as we get into verse 3, when he says, if you have tasted, I pray that you've tasted. And if you haven't, that this would be an opportunity for you to put your faith in what God has done through Christ on the cross. You can't make yourself desire to desire God. God has to do it. And that's why it's critical for you to become born again through the hearing of the good news, of the gospel. Without new birth, this is impossible. You can't drink of the spiritual milk Peter's talking about if you are not born again. It doesn't work. That's going to be a futile effort. You are going to be at that tap with nothing coming out. Or what is coming out isn't what you think it is. Without the new birth, it's impossible. If that's what you need to hear today, that you need to hear that maybe I need to examine things a little bit deeper, maybe I'm not where I think I am because these things aren't of me, I just pray that you would just hear the gospel. I mean, we've heard the gospel so many times just leading up to me walking up here that Christ died for you when you were, when you were ignorant when you knew no better. That's what Peter's been all about so far. Because God did these things for you, this is the way that you can respond. Not that you do these things because you're a good person now, but because God ransomed you. He saved you from your futile ways. Plead with God to reveal himself, to make you born again, to make you taste his goodness. This is such a frustrating thing. In MC, I have a couple guys that I've... I've been discipling and gospeling and I really just pushed on this guy one time because I'm like, it's such a frustrating thing because, listen, I can't, it's not knowledge we're talking about here. This is experience, right? I can't make you born again. And it would just frustrate him because my response after hours and hours and hours of meeting him every time was the same thing. You need to go home, pray that God breaks your heart, pray that God intercedes into your heart and gives you repentance, that God would ransom you from your idiotic ways, the ways that you think you do things better, that you can run your life the best way, and break that. But you can't do that. I can't give you any advice that's going to make you become a better Christian. You have to hit your knees and pray that God would break your heart, that he would give you that repentance. And so I pray, if any of this resonates with you, please seek God. You have to hit your knees. You have to beg for him to break you. You have to beg for him to let you, let you taste the goodness. Verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I kind of jumped the gun a little bit on this one. but One of the ways that the word of God creates desire for the, the milk of God, the word, the gospel, um, God's goodness, is by des destroying desires of other things. 
When you've tasted the goodness of God in the gospel, nothing else is sweeter. I mean, can you say that? Your desires for perishable things in this world will start to fade away, and your desires for the imperishable things will grow for your brothers and sisters. Like we said, it's a forever family. It's not going away, right? So you better, better start working on this stuff, asking the Spirit to work in you because you're going to be around these people for a long time. The more growth you have, the more you see the kindness and graciousness of God. How kind he's been to you in, in saving you through the gospel. And that should throw you to Jesus. That, that, that everything, all this stuff I desire and I pursue and I manipulate people for and I hide from people, it's exhausting. And it all goes away anyway. Jesus is what satisfies. That's something, that's milk you drink, and it actually fulfills. It actually nourishes. Everything else leaves you hungry, leaves you wanting more, chasing the next thing. The more... I just don't want this this thought to, to pass us by because it's really, I mean, even when I say it, I'm like, my heart so often wants to go the other way. Like, I can, it's so easy for me to just slip into avoidance and withdraw and that go back to this list that Peter gave us in, in verse one, right? Where I, I pull the fig leaf up and I'm like, hey, nope, everything's fine. It's going good. Look at my fig leaf. Like, don't look at me. Do you love God? I mean, this is a very simple question, but this is, Peter really is giving us a very simple picture here. Because if you love God, then you will love others. This is how you will know that they are my disciples, for the love that they have for one another. You were born again by the gospel, by the power of the Spirit, by the kindness of God. Now go on longing that thing that saved you, day by day, experiencing it, tasting it, pursuing the kindness of God in that. The gospel is not an entrance, like I just, I'm born, I drink milk, and then I'm done, now I go on to solid foods. This is basic, every day, just the gospel drawing our desire to God. Because it's so amazing, it's so kind, because we don't deserve it. And I don't want, it's so easy for us to get into, I hear this so often when we're going through stories in MC, where we can get stuck in this like, well, my genetics make me this way, my family history makes me this way, past experiences have made me this way, I can't change it, my present circumstances are, are this. That's a lie. That's a lie. The gospel is here to change you, not save you and then leave you. 
It's here for your nourishment. Have you forgotten your life source? That verse is a reminder to all of us of what what our response should be to the gospel. That if you've tasted God's goodness, it should call you to rejoice, to remember that 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 is where you get your nutrients from. If you don't desire the word, have you forgotten the power of the gospel in your life? Are you going to live powerly enough to save and transform you and give yourself new life? No, that comes from outside of you. In closing, I don't want you to walk away from this thinking, I just need to read my Bible more. Because that's not what I'm trying to get at here. People read their Bibles all the time, but they don't read it for nourishment. Some people read it as a tradition because their parents did it. Some people read it suspiciously, but some people read it like a a religious charm or a magic that will ward off problems. Some people read it just for information so they can know more, they can study it. Some people read it for work, preparing sermons, lessons. They want to satisfy their curiosity or their intellectual pride. Some people just want to see how many horns are on the beast for all the prophetic stuff. But this is the thing. Peter is telling you to fill yourself on the gospel. Come taste God's goodness daily, and as you do that, he will sustain you through hardships and struggles, in times where you don't want to love your MC, times you've been hurt and jaded, times when it's hard, times when you want to run away, when you want to withdraw. The gospel is such good news that you've been saved from your futile ways that you have been born again to taste the sweetness of God. That desire and longing for God is so sweet that you can't help but tell others about God and what he offers. Now, I got this from Sam, but it works great. If you live in the Quad Cities, you understand the sweetness of Whitey's ice cream. And you tell people about that. People come from all over the place because they've heard of Whitey's. I want people to come here because they've heard of Jesus. They've heard of Sacred City Church. Because that's what we talk about. That's what we proclaim because that's what we desire. That's our longing. That's the one thing that satisfies us. If the gospel of Jesus is powerful enough to create new Christians through the new birth, then the gospel of Jesus is powerful enough to create desire in languishing Christian souls. Don't be spiritually stagnant. The power at work within you is the same power that is still in you, that's still working in you. If it can't create you and raise you from the dead, then can it not give you new desire? It can. Again, pray for God. Pray for him to give you that desire to to long after the gospel. Listen to to that poem I read from uh, John Bunyan with a little bit of a change to it. Run, John, run, the law commands. 
but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel states, it bids desire and then creates. We have a desperate need to get back in touch with our spiritual sustenance, our nutrition that comes from God's pure spiritual milk. Even Jesus, when he was, when he was tempted, how did Jesus respond? He responded from a desire to know God more. He understood the scriptures, so he pulls from the things that he's read and that he's, he's gained um, insight from, and that's his response. But in order for you to have that response, there's a desire that makes you long for that. Not because I got to check something off my list. You know, I'm not as good of a Christian if I didn't read my Bible today. The gospel covers that. We're always going to come up short. But Jesus didn't come up short. We have such a desperate need for God's spiritual milk, for the gospel daily, that it's like a newborn baby. A newborn baby, if it doesn't eat, doesn't grow. It needs nourishment. We need nourishment. We desperately need nourishment from the gospel. We need a desire like a hungry baby that is sucking with all of its strength to draw out the nourishments of its mother's breast. That's how we ought to pursue God. If you want to develop that craving, remember your life source. Eliminate your sin and admit your need and remember the gospel and how sweet it was when you first believed. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts to give us a desire to just love you more, to pursue you more, and that as, as our eyes focus on, on Jesus, on the cross, that these other things that can get in our way, that the junk food that we can fill our, our spiritual bellies on, would just lose their luster, that our desires would diminish and that our desires would just be increasingly toward the goodness that we see in your gospel and what you did, that as we were still sinners, as we were still enemies with you, as we were still in our ignorance of our forefathers, you came to us and gave us new life. And not only did you give us your body like a mother gives her body to, to birth a child, but then you, you give us the nourishment after that, just like a mother feeding her child. You give us that nourishment through the gospel to sustain us through your spirit. And I just pray that each one of us would be drawn to you, drawn to the sweetness of the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.